Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mature Audiences Mayhem. My name is Glenn King. As always, it is my great honor to bring you this podcast where we we go places that other podcasts fear going. We talk about the issues that are most important in the world, and that is the adult side of things. We've talked to some great adult film stars. We've talked to some wonderful pro wrestlers. Uh, we've got some writers on the schedule. We've got all kinds of great entertainers, but today a little bit different and something very special uh, and important to those people who are in the state of California. Back for a return visit to the podcast here uh, is the world's greatest, and so she doesn't like to brag about herself, but I'm going to tell you, she is the world's greatest labor attorney. She is Karen Tynan. If you are ever involved in some kind of labor dispute and the lawyer of record on the other side is Karen Tynan, just tell your lawyer, settle, settle. Just get out of this thing. Run. You're making me smile. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to fight this. You do not want to fight with her. Let me just say that. Thanks, Glenn. Okay, so a brief story here so people can understand what kind of impact, what kind of situation we're dealing with. I have been in the adult film industry as a producer since 2002 or, or really 2001. Um, back in 2004. Four, I believe it was, there was a new bill passed uh, involving 2257 records, and it, it dramatically changed our record keeping. And at the time, it became a felony to even use the wrong font on your paperwork. <laughs> so right. they were trying to put a rule in place with good intentions to make sure that adult film producers didn't have any kind of legal loopholes and ways to shoot somebody under age. And so they put this very, very strict record-keeping law in place. And their thinking on their side was that, listen, we want to have weapons to use against adult film producers. We don't want to let them get off the hook if they're shooting somebody in under age or getting involved in, in sex trafficking, etc. Good intentions, but the impact of the law... Right was way further reaching than they had intended. And it basically put us in a situation as producers where our lawyers were telling us, tomorrow when the law goes into effect, you need to be prepared in case they have a big van or bus and are just going from location to location, rounding up adult film producers and putting you in jail. And they can do it because not a single one of you guys out there is going to have perfect records. Right, And in fact, the law actually stated at the time that you had to be available 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., five days a week at the office listed. And every one of your videos had to have this uh, at the beginning of it saying, here's where we, here's where our offices are. Here's where you can find us. and Here's where we keep the paperwork. And if they showed up at your office and you were out to lunch, then theoretically you were going to jail. And so it was something they could use to get just about anybody. And I, at the time, was so frightened. I walked into a martial arts studio on Ventura Boulevard and said, I need to be trained on how to save my own life if I end up in jail. And I ended up taking 10 years of martial arts classes from that studio. So there you go, a positive. Ow. There's always a positive effect. Uh, and I'm in much better shape now as a result. Wait. I like that story. Thank you. Um, so not, that was the one of the biggest days in our industry, and I think nothing bigger has come along from a legal standpoint, although there have been plenty of 
other dramatic legal uh, uh, developments, such as a condom law. There was a, a proposition uh, was 60. 60. That, 60 was the state one. Measure B yes. was the Los Angeles one. Uh, we've been through quite a bit in our industry, but I don't think anything has had the kind of deep reaching impact. Uh, that we are about to view on January 1st because of a new bill called AB5. And I'll let Karen explain to you guys, even though we've, we've covered this on a previous podcast, I think we need to just go back and review what is AB5. Yeah, and I think it's a good time to do that, Glenn, because before when we talked about it, we were talking about it in a more theoretical sense, right? We were right. looking at the bill being passed, um, there were still some carve outs being negotiated, but now here we are and AB5 is the law and the carve outs are set for now and we need to deal with this new law, AB5. I've been going around probably for the last three months. I went to a grocer's convention in Palm Springs a few months ago. I've been kind of on a bit of a speaking um, tour about these to various industries, temp agencies, manufacturing, for different areas of the economy in California to figure out how they're going to deal with this new law that is a complete shift, a complete change on how we view independent contractors versus employees. So that's where we're at today, Glenn. Yeah. Okay. So just to clarify for our listeners, AB5 is a new bill. It was basically intended to help out uh, Uber drivers, um, but other other people who are treated in California as contractors. And and the idea was, hey, we got to help these people get the benefits of being employees. So always there's a good intention. There's a germ of a good intention behind a law. And so that's what this was, is, is it puts into place uh, new rules in the state of California for when you go work for a company, uh, whether they have to classify you as an employee or a contractor. But under this new law, there is something called an ABC test that will determine whether you're a contractor or not. Karen, could you explain the ABC test, please? Sure. So the ABC test, which was also adopted by the California Supreme Court in um, 2018 – is a test that's used in some other states. And the A is, is this person, the worker, free from the control and direction of the hiring entity in connection with the performance of the work, both under the contract for the work and, in fact, the B part of the test is, is this person performing work that is outside of the usual course of the hiring entity's business and last, C, the person is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature that is involved in this work that's being performed. So you have to meet all three elements, A, B, and C. It's the new test in California. You have to meet all three elements to be a contractor, you're saying? To be the contractor. To be a contractor. Okay. So let's and, apply and this to uh, uh, Uber drivers real quick so people can understand the intention of it. Uber drivers uh, do get to set their own hours, and they get to wear their own uniforms, and they get to um, live an independent uh, lifestyle in terms of as a company. However, they are doing the the basic work 
of the company, uh, you know, their employees, right. because it's Uber is a company that provides rides to people, and the people that are providing the rides are the Uber drivers, and so therefore, under the ABC law, Uber drivers are employees. And that's how the general public, the legislature, and the courts have certainly looked at it. Now, Uber, and I believe they are going to be filing suit if they haven't already, and they've been very open about their plan, is that Uber claims that they're a platform, a tech platform for people to share rides. So, you know, the, the ABC test is definitely a more difficult test. And don't forget, when when you're the company, let's say you're, you're Karen Tynan's production company, I am going to be the entity that has to prove that all three of those elements are, are satisfied um, with regard to whether or not the person is an independent contractor or an employee. Right, but let me explain uh, to the to the listeners Uber's thinking on that one. So let's say that I set up Boober, which is something I've talked about uh, on my television show before this quite a bit. I've been talking about this for a long time. Boober would be a platform where we, let's just say they legalize prostitution like they should. Um, so you would have an app on your phone that says, hey, here are the prostitutes or the escorts that are in your neighborhood and are available right now and the specialties that they provide, the services they provide. And this platform would simply match you up uh, with that person and then, of course, provide you with a map saying, hey, your boober uh, provider is uh, five minutes away and here she is on the map as she comes to your house. If I provided that platform, I'm just providing a way of introducing potential clients to escorts. I would not be employing the the actual escorts in that case, right? And that's basically what Uber is arguing is that we're not the people providing rides for you. We're just providing you the person who needs a ride with somebody who has a car that's willing to drive you somewhere. Well, there you go. And I love your idea for Boober. And I think when we publish the podcast, we should definitely use that hashtag. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, of course, you will be the attorney of record on Boober Corporation, which uh, – let me see. Is that available? I better look up uh, Boober. look up Boober. Boober.com, um, yeah. So, so I, I love it that the ride-sharing companies – Uber is probably the best known – the ride-sharing companies um, really are pushing back on this, and frankly, um, a lot of other industries are too, and certainly during the 2019 legislative session, there was a frenzy of trade groups and companies and professions working it hard in Sacramento to try to get a carve-out, and as you may know, there were some carve-outs. For example, insurance salesmen and brokers, they got carve-outs. Dentists, podiatrists, psychologists, veterinarians, private investigators, security brokers, um, commercial fishermen. All these, these professions went and got carve-outs from the new ABC test. The entertainment industry did not work Sacramento to get a carve-out. And one of our threshold pieces of information that we need to get out to the industry is that we are not in any carve-out. A carve-out is an exemption for those of yes. you who are listening. 
So uh, that's really somewhat surprising that the big Hollywood companies did not even try to get uh, uh, carve-outs for this. Why do you suppose that is? Um, well, of course, since I'm in Sacramento a lot now, what what I heard, kind of the inside baseball uh, chatter, was that uh, Hollywood likes the loan-out system and the SAG union definitely wants more workers as opposed to independent contractors. So the mainstream entertainment industry did not seek the carve out based on those two factors. Now, that doesn't mean that during the 2020 legislative session, they may not try to get some kind of carve out exemption something like that. I, I haven't heard about their particular activities right now, but it's it's definitely something that a lot of professions are looking at as AB5 comes in is, should we try to have a carve out or how can our industry deal with this? Right. So if you Google AB5 California, you're going to see articles uh, – in fact, I think every single article that I read was either negative or neutral – <laughs> I didn't really see any uh, people that are thrilled about this, although there are uh, benefits of this, and we'll, we'll get to those in a moment. But um, this affects a lot of different industries. So the biggest one I've seen is the is the independent writers uh, industry. So not only did, did people who write articles for magazines and websites not get an exemption, uh, but they were actually specifically written in the rule there uh, in the law. There's a cap, right. according to what I read, that says if you write more than 35 articles for somebody in a given year, you're automatically an employee. And they figured that these magazines would just hire their best writers, and instead, these magazines have just been firing all their best writers and figuring they can right. always find a new writer. So this has devastated yeah. the the independent writer industry. And, and independent um, photographers, photojournalists, I think that there are quite a few other industries that um, are trying to address this. For example, court reporters. Um, they typically work for one day recording a deposition or a court hearing. Um, they're hired uh, for a particular uh, you know, activity, which is creating a transcript. And so... Uh, with the way those companies and individual court reporters work, um, you can see that a, a lot of these professions are really struggling to try to figure out how to make this work, how to keep the level of professionalism up, and how to keep the same financial foundation for their workers so the workers don't see a drop in pay. Right. So so there you go. You've got a bunch of different industries that, uh, like the adult industry, are all kind of looking at it and saying we've got some serious challenges. And, and so everybody across the board is trying to figure out what they're going to do. So let's get to the adult industry. Here's the good news. If you are an adult performer, you've been working in an industry that has been somewhat unfavorable towards labor uh, for the last 40 years or so. Right, Karen? Yeah, I'd agree with that. That's a fair statement, and it's a a fair statement about how producers and performers and talent agents have worked as a system in this adult entertainment industry where you have somewhere around 
let's say, a thousand to two thousand active performers, you know, that are working, let's say, regularly. And then, you know, a few production companies that certainly changed over the last few years with, you know, bigger companies purchasing content, some changes. But um, I'd agree with that. And I think it's time for us to figure out how to comply with AB5 if, if that's going to be your business plan and what kind of risk you're going to have um, looking at AB5 and, and how you can move forward in 2020. Yeah, here's the reality of the adult film business. There are maybe five to ten companies that are making over a million dollars in a year. It's a very, very small number. Uh, and then there are another thousand companies around, maybe two thousand companies, who right. make somewhere between fifty thousand and and a million, and have five employees. Or like in my case, I really only have me, one employee in right. my company, and and that's why it's been a little bit difficult for uh, uh, performers to to think of themselves as employees. They're only – or to get the benefits of employees. Uh, they're only hired to work three to five hours at a time, uh, and they can decline any job, and they can uh, also say, hey, I'm not available on Friday at 10 a.m. Could you make the call time noon? And then I, as a producer, can say yes or no. Uh, so it, it's difficult to think of them in a situation like, hey, I should provide uh, health insurance for this person that I'm hiring for a three-hour job on Friday that they declined and negotiated the time and the rate for. So, um, yeah, so they haven't traditionally gotten the benefits, but it has caused problems specifically in the area uh, of uh, onset injuries. Uh, In a lot of cases, these small producers who, you know, are a one-person guy with an iPhone, perhaps. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, bigger... Let's just use me as an example because... I have a, a camera person and a makeup artist on set with me pretty much every time, and sometimes one or two more in the crew. Um, if somebody gets injured on my set, there's always sort of a, an issue as to how we would handle that. Uh, I am am a very I take a lot of pride in being an ethical producer. So first thing I do is I prepare my sets in a manner that they're. Uh, we provide as much worker safety as we possibly can, and that's probably why we've had almost no injuries on our sets for the last 20 years. Uh, but the, t- the rare one or two times that we have, uh, we've worked to pr- uh, help that person um, with monetary uh, help to get them right to, to help them out. So the, and that happens on sets, but in a lot of cases, the producer will tell the performer, "Sorry, you're an independent contractor. I'm sorry that you fell down on my set." Uh, but I'm not going to pay for that. Again, again not something I right. would say. Uh, and that's where somebody like Karen can come in and has come in in cases and help performers out. But there's really not something in place that's codified. And this would this would help in that area, correct? Yes. This When you have performers on the set and they're employees, this performer is an employee, they are going to be covered by a broad bandwidth of protective laws under the labor code through um, the division of labor standards enforcement. They're going to be protected by the workers' compensation system. Um, And of course, Cal OSHA also applies to employees in the workforce. So you're correct that when a performer is categorized as an employee, 
there are going to be more protections for that worker. And the flip side of it is for the producer, you're going to have expenses associated with now having employees versus independent contractors. All right, so let's try to add up the costs, uh, how much AB5 would affect production costs. But first, I need to talk to you about the greatness of Blue Chew. So I'm an adult film producer. I've been an adult film producer for many, many years. And I know more than anybody else the importance of being able to have an erection. You see, if the male talent on my sets, or if I'm the male talent on my sets and I'm unable to have an erection, I might cost the producer the entire day's worth of revenues. Uh, If the performer cannot get an erection, he might not be able to perform, and therefore we might not be able to make a scene, at which point I'd still have to pay the female talent and the makeup artist and the crew and everybody else that's been there. So on my sets, it's absolutely key for performers to be able to get an erection. Uh, Just the same as it is for you when you're at home and when you've got that hot date, that girl... Uh, in bed with you and you've had the greatest night of your life and you're about to have the greatest sex of your life and you want to be absolutely sure that you can have an erection. Here's what I recommend for the performers on my sets and here's what I recommend for you. It's called Blue Chew. Blue Chew can be found at bluechew.com. That's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. It is a very simple concept. It is the world's first chewable erectile dysfunction pill that contains the same active ingredients as Cialis and Viagra. It's the real thing. You get a prescription for this, but instead of going to the uh, awkward doctor's visit or to the pharmacy, you just go online to bluechew.com. You type into a little box, hey, I'm having erection problems, or you know, give a description of your problem. A doctor reviews it and gets with you to write a prescription for you and they then send it to your home. Very simple. It comes in a very discreet package. And uh, then when you take it, because it's chewable, it's going to work a lot faster than your typical uh, uh, swallowable erectile dysfunction pill. I highly recommend it. And I'm going to make it simple for you here by giving you a promo code that lets you try it for free. That's right. Like, what reason could you possibly have for not trying it when it's free? So use my promo code ADULT, A-D-U-L-T, at checkout and get your first order for free. They will charge you $5 for shipping and handling. But other than that, you're going to be trying this and then you're going to thank me. You're going to you're going to tweet me at Glenn King XXX and say, hey, Glenn, I tried Blue Chew just like all the other many, many, many other friends and listeners that you have. And I just want to say thanks because I now get erections. And not only do I get the erections I need, I have the confidence. I don't stress about it. I don't worry about it when I'm with my girl. So there you go. We thank Blue Chew for being a, a very loyal sponsor of ours. And... Uh, And again, we encourage you to visit bluechew.com and use the promo code ADULT, A-D-U-L-T. So just as an example, just throwing out averages, if you're a producer who shoots once a week, you're paying your female talent an average of $1,000, you're paying your male talent an average of, let's say, $700, you're paying your camera person an average of $200, you got a makeup artist for $100, I'm just rounding numbers here, you're at $2,000. Now, so you were just paying everybody as contractors, uh, now you're, you're paying $2,200 roughly because you're going to have 10% in employment taxes that go along with it. Uh, you're going to have to pay a payroll company. No human being in the state of California can figure out the complex <laughs> g- 
guarantee it. You're not doing your own payroll without a payroll company. That's going to cost you something like 50 bucks per employee. So uh, that's going to be another couple hundred dollars. Uh, it may, you know, maybe there's uh, uh, quantity discounts there, but you know, yeah, could be yeah, and off. I think that, um, and and I hope that we can tag the Free Speech Coalition. I know recently I did speak with Michelle. She has found some preferred providers who will work with adult for payroll, for workers' comp insurance, and some of the other kind of minutia that you need. If you are going to follow the law and properly act as an employer with an employee relationship. Okay, so let's say you can get the workers' comp down to $100 maybe per set. Is that about what they're saying or do you have any idea? I think it's going to depend on how much production is done per month. So let's say um, it's your production company and you could tell the workers' comp carrier, look, in any given month, I'm going to employ a total of 15 people for one day each for a total of 15 you know, person days, and that's going to be it. And your premium will be based on that. And it'll probably be a couple of hundred dollars. Um, but don't forget that if someone does get hurt, if someone does claim an injury, an illness, a disease, anything like that, workers' comp is going to step in and, and take that problem off your shoulders. Absolutely. If it's $200, are you saying $200 a month or $200 per employee? I think it's probably going to be about that a month, maybe a little more. Okay, so that's not, not too bad. But again, let's let's add up our total here. So we were at $8,000 a month for four scenes at $2,000 worth of labor per scene. Now we're at uh, $8,800, so it's an extra $800 for the producer just for the employment taxes, plus a couple hundred dollars for insurance. That's now you're at $1,000 a month more, and uh, plus uh, uh, payroll. So you're probably at another uh, couple hundred dollars minimum. You know, so so let's say you've now had gone from eight thousand dollars into the nine to ten thousand dollar range. I think I think twenty percent is probably a good rule of thumb. It's going to create about a twenty percent additional overhead for producers um, in their business. Now, certainly, I am getting some questions about loan out companies and other things that people are considering workarounds. But for, for some producers, just simply having a performer as an employee, paying them a day rate, um, running the payroll that day, and issuing a check with deductions is going to be the best option for them. Okay. So, sorry about Buddy the Cat in the background here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. He's chiming in. He has been sleeping for the last 72 hours, and he just decided he needed to get up now and participate in this discussion. He is very much uh, pro-labor, so that's okay. how cats are. Yeah. All right. So we've sort of laid out for everybody what uh, what AB5 is and how it's going to basically – the benefits for, for um, performers and then the downside maybe for producers – uh, we are going to now just run through questions because everyone in this industry has questions. I've got a small list of questions. Karen's got a list of questions. But first, I need to tell you really quickly about our show's sponsor, and that is Sex Panther. Sex Panther. Are you familiar with Sex Panther? Are they your client? Um, they're not my client, but I'd love to help them. 
Okay. I will introduce you to the great people at Sex Panther. Sex Panther is your way. Uh, if you are, I'm assuming that most of the people that are listening to the podcast today are in the industry. If you are a content creator slash performer, whatever in the industry, the best way for you to create a bond with your fans is through Sex Panther. Sex Panther gives your fans the ability to text you or call you. And uh, ask you questions. You can sext with them, trade pictures with them, trade, send them videos, whatever. But uh, this goes through a relay system, so they you don't have to give out your real phone number. Uh, your fans will get a phone number that they can access you with it, and then you can set your own rates for uh, all these things: texting and and sending pictures and sending uh, uh, anything. And so, a lot of the people that have been on this podcast. Uh, whether it be um, uh, uh, Tiffany Watson, who who's actually going to be on next week's episode of the podcast, even though I taped it yesterday, because uh, <laughs> I, I think this issue here needs to get out there as quickly as possible. But Tiffany Watson, Ginger Lynn, Christy Canyon, Courtney Taylor, Kimberly Chi, uh, uh, all these people are on uh, a Sex Panther and are making great money off of it. And then on the other end of this thing, if you're a fan, you want to support your favorite performer. I know many of you really want to to send pictures and you you send DMs to your favorite performer trying to get to know them a little better. And this gives you a way to compensate them for their time. I know all of you want to support your favorite performer. So you can do that through Sex Panther. So go to sexpanther.com right now. Uh, actually, after this podcast, not now, uh, unless you want to stop the podcast and go first and check it out. So that's S-E-X-T. P-A-N-T-H-E-R dot com, Sex Panther. Go check it out today and start building that real friendship relationship or real sexual relationship between fan and performer. Okay, back to the good stuff now. Uh, all right, you want to start with the questions and then I'll fill in the ones I've got on my screen here? Sure. So, um, Glenn, you probably know uh, Five Star. She's a well-known director in the business. Yes. And um, she's in San Francisco, and she sent me a couple of questions that I thought were very helpful. So her first question was about the quote-unquote loan-out companies, uh, asking, well, if if in adult entertainment a performer has an LLC um, and they say that that LLC is a loan-out company, can we just pay the LLC when the performer comes to perform for a day? And I think that's a pretty good question. And so – Wait, wait. Let's clarify uh, here. So this is a California yeah. person in the state of yes. California working for a California company, and this person has now created an LLC so that the producer is hiring this company to provide them with an employee for the hour or day for whatever. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So all happening in California and um, wanting to know, well, if if that person has the LLC, can we pay the LLC? So here's my answer. Yes, but <laughs> and yeah. it's a typical attorney answer. Yeah. So the AB5 legislation created a business to business exception and Loan out companies in the mainstream industry are utilizing this business to business exception for loan outs. Okay, so 
if you are going to pay an LLC that a performer has and you're in a production company, it is going to be your burden to show that you have complied with the AB5 carve out for business to business contracting. And how are you going to do that? Number one, you're going to have a written agreement the day of the performance that says my production company is contracting with, um, let's say, Tiffany Watson's LLC and for a one-day performance, and she will be paid $1,000. Now, doesn't stop there. That's what people used to do, and they'd simply say, oh, I'm paying the LLC. Right. Here, right. There's a little more now. And, and if you can't prove this, you're, you're going to get in trouble with either EDD, um, the Division of Labor Standards. So here's the other parts that you're going to need to comply with. You're going to have to have that written agreement. You're going to have to have proof that that LLC has a business license to operate in the state of California. So your performer is going to show you a copy of their business license in addition to their LLC name. And I think that should be fairly easy to do. And then um, the, the other part is that with that um, proof of the business license and the LLC, you have to make sure that that performer is also um, bringing any of their own tools, providing any of their own equipment. That's the letter of the law. And um, that that performer has a business address, some business location that you can include in the contract. So it's not simply a performer saying, I have this LLC, write the check to the LLC. You have a few more hoops to jump through now. Okay, but those are relatively reasonable. And, and just to make an analogy here, like if I hire uh, a maid, a friend of mine, to be a maid for my house on a regular basis, in California at least, that's an employee at this point. Uh, but what we're saying is, is that if I hire Tidy Maids Corporation uh, and pay them $300, it's a big house. Uh, <laughs> so I, essentially I'm paying that corporation to provide a service for me. I'm not getting an employee. And that's the argument that we're trying to work with here. And so that's a way so potentially I want to supplement um, the in information Angeles, about the loan uh, out companies. To handle these so things. with that, um, you're going to have to have this written contract proof of the LLC, you also need to be able to meet the old Borello test. So there needs to be certainly um, a lack of uh, direction and control. So for example, when, and, and you're aware of some of this litigation, um, when a performer shows up, certainly they're showing up and bringing their artistic creativity, their, their energy, their professionalism to the set, their body as their instrument. And so um, I think that in the business-to-business contracting, the producers also need to be aware that they need to make sure that their contract on the B2B side reflects that the performer is bringing a distinct skill set and their own performance, their body as their instrument, and that, you know, uh, basically we're not micromanaging what the performer will be doing on screen, you know, in every second of it, of the performance. 
Uh, yeah, which is is a little tricky. I mean, it's not as long as you don't get audited by the state. But what's the worst case scenario here? Like, how does an audit work of these things? Right. So that was that was five star second question is what are some of these risks in misclassifying a performer as an independent contractor instead of an employee? So, of course, um, the state would like their tax dollars, their payroll taxes, and they have some ways to enforce that with EDD audits. And if you talk to producers who have been around this business a long time, most of them have had an EDD audit somewhere along the way, either a quarter or maybe two or three quarters of payroll records and check ledgers looked at by EDD because maybe a performer filed for unemployment, something like that. So you have the risk of EDD coming in and auditing you and charging you for payroll taxes, uh, 10% interest, and a penalty. The other heavy hammer that the state has is the labor commissioner's office. And the labor commissioner's office can certainly um, come in. They also have the power to audit. They have the power to have a hearing about whether or not the worker was an independent contractor or an employee. There's also um, part of the DLSE called the Bureau of Field Enforcement, BOFE, B-O-F-E. And they go out and try to ensure that employers have workers' comp coverage. They target inspections in particular industries. And then they um, basically issue a citation or a fine against your company saying you've misclassified workers and here now you need to give the state a bunch of money, tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Uh, so, so those are some of the heavy hammers that are out there on the other side of compliance, um, giving production companies an incentive to comply with the new law. So if this is complaint-driven or can be complaint-driven, did we just uh, hand a, a weapon to disgruntled employees, essentially? So <laughs> in a, you know what I'm saying? Like in a scenario where a performer goes on set, uh, she and the producer don't get along, uh, she she does the job so that she can get paid, but then the next day she goes and calls the labor uh, commission or files a complaint with the labor commission. She can trigger a very costly audit under those conditions, right or wrong? Absolutely, and it is a very big hammer. The labor commissioners have the powers of subpoenas. Um, your your bank account can be subpoenaed. Your bank records. Um, so certainly, uh, disgruntled workers do have much more leverage now, much the same as if there's a disgruntled worker that's picking grapes in the central Valley and they don't like something that happens at work, they call the labor commissioner, right? right. It is not uncommon. And so now though, with, um, AB five in place, there's going to be more leverage against production companies. I would also like to take this chance to remind producers that the labor commissioner has a very big hammer as far as unpaid wages. So if you are going to either not pay a performer because, let's say you said, 
I didn't like how you worked today or you stopped payment on a check or you shorted a performer's check and said, well, I know I said I was going to pay you 1200 but I've only got 1000 That performer can go to the labor commissioner and the penalties are astronomical, Glenn. Good. Tens of thousands of dollars can be what you end up paying. I've, I've sought um, unpaid wages on behalf of performers before. Those cases have been covered in the media. I've also defended production companies. I've been on both sides of it. And it is an unpleasant experience for the production company. I have zero sympathy for any producer who does not pay the talent, uh, and I especially have zero sympathy for someone who um, bounces a check to the talent, as has happened in our industry many times. And if you are one of the many performers who listen to the show and a producer has shorted you, you can call – you can get a hold of Karen. Her her Twitter is Karen Attorney. Uh, How many days – before the check does not arrive or or how many days of no check should they wait before they contact you? Well, I tell you this, um, really performers should be paid within three days. Some companies I know run payroll every two weeks and send out checks. Okay. I can take that. Let me tell you what these performers and, and you and I know that there are producers who do it. These performers that wait three weeks for a check, four weeks for a check. Yes, sometimes much longer. There is no excuse for it. They can go direct to the labor commissioner and file a claim, and all you have to have is the producer's name, whoever, whether they went by a company name or an individual name, and the address where you worked. Let's say you know it was either at a studio or a private home or anything like that. Certainly, the performers have that ability to go straight to the labor commissioner. Um, You know, in 2019, I had a performer who um, uh, the producer didn't pay, and her day rate was $2,000. She's a very successful gal. We went to the labor commissioner, and the penalties that the labor commissioner um, issued against the producer were above $50,000. Um, because of the way the formulas work under the labor code and because the labor commissioners absolutely and unequivocally do not tolerate uh, workers not being paid, whether you're picking grapes in the Central Valley, whether you're a performer making $2,000 a day, wherever you are and whatever you do, the labor commissioner will not tolerate non-payment of wages or bounce checks. Who got the $50,000? I'm not telling. No, I, I'm sorry. I don't want the name of the performer. I mean, uh, you're you're saying they didn't pay that fifty thousand to the state, right? The performer got it. Right. So, what I'm what I'm saying is the state will issue the penalties against the production company. The performer will get the money. And let me tell you what happens when the DLSE investigates a production company and finds that they have not paid. Usually it's more than one performer, but let's say there's a couple of performers against the same production company. The DLSE will start investigating that company and um, issuing uh, penalties against the company. They'll dig into their check um, register. Uh, You know, it's a it's a big department in the state. You probably know that every county has a labor commissioner office. There's one in Van Nuys. Um, There's about four in L.A. And 
They're a resource. The forms are online. I think that um, it, it, it's a good thing that uh, perfor- for performers to have that resource. I, like you, find it to be my pet peeve yeah. that production companies or a producer um, would ever short someone that has shown up and done their day's work that they contracted for. I think it's an abomination. Yes. Um, I know that uh, many times performers will resort to Twitter or, you know, kind of talk about it, you know, within the performer community um, and just chalk it up and say, well, I'll never work for him again. But I want to say that um, the performers for unpaid wages, when you're an employee, um, there there are ways to recover that money that are very simple and you can go direct to the labor commissioner, no problem. So Karen doesn't like to toot her own horn uh, or advertise her own services that much, but I will again for her. Uh, just again, a performer who gets paid $2,000 for a scene, did not get paid for a few weeks, came to Karen. Karen got her $50,000, and uh, I don't care, uh, Mr. Producer, whoever you are, because you got what you deserved. You should have paid the person at the end of the day or two days later or so on. Uh, but yes, if you are a performer who is having trouble getting paid, go uh, find Karen, get a hold of her. Karen Attorney on Twitter is a really quick, easy way to get a hold of her. Then that's and, an ad for an unpaid oh, ad so from. <laughs> You're so sweet. Um, you know, for me, I, I want the producers in this business to be good people. I, you I know, do too. and I don't think that any of us should support or tolerate people who have either unsafe sets, don't pay the performers, don't pay their camera guy, don't pay the makeup, any any of that kind of sketchiness. I think should be driven out of the industry anyway. I agree. And I also want to make sure that you uh, performers understand performers who are new content creators, performers who are making lots of money on your Snapchats and your OnlyFans are now hiring your fellow performers. Uh, I My understanding is most of you are just paying cash to each other, and that's great too. But uh, do understand that you have to play by the same rules that the companies do in terms of paying whoever you owe the money to. So don't think that just because you're doing a content trade that involves a little bit of money going back and forth, that the other person that you didn't pay can't go to a labor attorney or the labor commission and file a complaint against you. You have to be, no matter the size of your company, you, you have to be professional. I agree, and and I share this word of this saying, words of wisdom, Um it's all good until it's not. Right. <laughs> and, you're and all you're, buddies when you start your content trade. Right. It's all good until someone's irritated. Someone um, woke up the day after a scene and had an ingrown hair and or an itch or whatever else and is very unhappy with their scene partner. Or someone wakes up the next day and maybe their girlfriend says, why'd you go do that scene? You pick the scenario and and things can go to hell in a handbasket quickly. Things that started out friendly, maybe not so much. I would say treat your business as a business. And despite the informality of content trades, um, sharing your resources, all those things that we we do in this business, um, always ask yourself: am, am I behaving like a business or a professional? And 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 try to be that way. You and I both know some of the 
the really big gals in this business, they absolutely um, treat their body as a business. They yes. understand what their scenes are worth. Um, they understand being professional. They show up on time. They, um, you know, have an accountant, all those things. So, so I'm with you about being professional, even though there tends to be an air of informality in our small, very friendly business. Well, what about content trades? Is, are content trades where there's no money exchange going to be affected by uh, AB5? You know, I think it's pretty unclear. I think that when people are working together to create content that they're going to share in, it's more of a joint venture. Okay. Um, has its own problems, right? So now you've created a joint venture. Well, who's paying this cameraman? Or um, what if I get in a dispute about the copyright um, for this material? Or um, something happens where I haven't kept the 2257 properly. Uh, all of that uh, can be problematic. I think uh, AB5 certainly was written in Sacramento and, and in a way written in a vacuum, you know, away from real workers like the people in our business or some of these other professions that we talked about earlier um, that uh, are struggling with making AB5 work. So I, like you, I'm a little concerned about um, content sharing, content trades. I think that the best practice is to not pay in cash, to create a financial record of it, and use your model releases properly and use a written content trade agreement um, because it's all good until it's not. <laughs> uh, yes. In fact, if you want to see it's not, just go on Twitter at any given time of any day. <laughs> I guarantee I can find you at least three people fighting over a content trade. It, it just it – just, <laughs> It's a constant in our industry. Uh, so I want to – I really want to talk to you about the workarounds that a lot of people are talking. But I need to – we need to talk first about the cam uh, artist portion of the industry yep. because they're the ones who have been devastated so far. Uh, I mean literally blown apart is, is a good word here. Uh, Streammate put out a letter a few weeks ago to all of their cam artists saying basically that if you are in the state of California – you need to go work for a corporation. You can start your own corporation or go work for somebody else's cam house corporation of some sort. Otherwise, we're 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 letting you go or we're we're terminating our relationship. It's funny because people keep saying they've been fired by Streammate, <laughs> but you right. weren't. That's the whole point is that they didn't want to hire you in the first place. So they're not firing you. They're just they're they're just uh, not hire. They're, they're not employing you. They're choosing right. not to hire you. It's it's different. Uh, right. But and yeah. Stream, Streammate wants to fall under this B2B exception, right? right. And they want to say, hey, we're not going to control what you do during your camming. You're just going to comply with obscenity laws. You're going to have a written contract and you're going to um, make a share of revenue based on a platform, kind of like your boober um, yes. idea. Yes. And so. I think the, the camming companies are going to find a workaround with the under the B2B exception, um, either with a performer forming their corporation and loaning themselves out for a certain number of hours for camming, or um, much like many other areas of the economy in California, these um, companies 
that'll hire you and loan you out, kind of like a temp agency where um, that company's really going to, a secondary company will be your employer, but you'll be doing camming, um, let's say for StreamMate or whichever company. I think there's a bunch of really great um, camming companies looking for solutions for the performers and looking for a way to comply with the law and also continue to be lucrative um, for these performers to help them build their brand and to help them make the money that they're used to. Yeah, but those companies they don't they don't work for free. Basically, um, the performers who have been used to keeping a hundred percent of of their thirty percent. I mean, you, get, you guys got to understand out there that cam performers sometimes make percentages that are dramatically low. You may give them a ten dollar right. tip, and they're going to get like three dollars out of that ten dollars in a lot of cases. And now they're going to have to go work for a company who. In, in exchange for, I mean, you know, doing all these services and providing employment for them is also going to take a percentage. And that's why some of these performers feel like their livelihoods have been completely stripped away from them. Is now they're making even less money uh, on the bad days, especially. Right. And that goes back to at the beginning of our podcast, we talked about the additional overhead a producer is going to have. And I kind of gave you the rough 20%. Well, if a camming company is going to have, you know, a greater percentage in overhead in order for these performers to um, comply with the law, um, it's going to have to get paid somewhere, right? Right. Absolutely. It's got to be paid somewhere, and, and it's going to come from the performers themselves. And, and I know some of the other performers I've seen have problems as well in that they have uh, – um, complicated work situations, you know, where they may not necessarily be uh, citizens of the United States. They may be under some kind of a work program where they have a work visa, but then that doesn't allow them to start their own corporation. Um, Right. You know, situations like that. So they've really complicated the webcam part of the industry. And then I thought it was also interesting that some webcam companies have announced that we'll take you if you leave StreamMate, we'll take you on. And it's interesting to see what their strategy is going to be. Do you think they'll just wait to see how it plays out? Um, I, you know, I think they're probably saying to themselves, we'll take a chance that it'll be somebody else besides us that gets nailed by the state of California. And at that point, we'll then do the same thing to the performers. But at least by then, we've stolen a bunch of cam artists from the other cam companies. You're right. And and in this business, and you've seen it for many years, there are people who are risk averse yeah. and who follow a particular set of rules. And there are people um, on the spectrum towards being less risk averse and who basically have a philosophy of catch me if you can. Right. Whether yes. it's their taxes, um, their location, where they shoot, um, Anything, anything like that. Um, you do have people who just figure, well, you know, I'm going to see if anybody can catch me. I've got my, you know, um, leased Lamborghini and my <laughs> leased house. Yes, yes. And my, right, everything's leased in, you know, their sister's name. You know, p- pick the method. And there are going to be those people. And there are also going to be people who are not um, willing to take those kind of risks either because they understand that in the long term it's not a fit for them 
or because maybe they've been dinged on something before. There's nothing like litigation to make you never want to be in litigation again, right? Yes. So, so <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> I think that we're going to see some people in the business willing to take more risk, some willing to take less risk. Yes. Uh, as an example, people have asked me for many years, well, what, Glenn, why don't you have urination in your videos? Everybody else is doing it. Although lately, <laughs> that has now changed again. But uh, there was a period where companies were really pushing the envelope. And I had to explain that it's it's so different for somebody who is uh, a single performer who just came to California and just getting into videos and just you know putting up a clip store. If if somebody, you know, the government comes and says, hey, we, we uh, we've noticed you're doing these videos or the, you know, there's some kind of a uh, um, um, obscenity char charges against them. It's kind of easy for them to fold up shop and go home. I've been around for 20 years. I, I, I own my home and I own my business and I got nowhere else to go. Uh, it's very important for me to do business in a manner that's sustainable, that doesn't end up with me embroiled in lawsuits. And, and that's why many of us are so adverse to those kind of things. Um, and can I give you a plug, Glenn, because um, you didn't ask for this, but, but for the listeners, if you can talk to people who have been in this business for 5, 10, 15 years, um, not somebody that you know just has an apartment with a tripod with their iPhone, talk to people like Glenn. Talk to people who have been here, who understand how to run a business, and ask their advice. Don't just sit there and follow someone on Twitter or, you know, talk to someone in the break room somewhere or a uh, party. Really sit down and, and, and ask some good questions. Ask Glenn, hey, Glenn, what would you do? Um, you know, I, I have some favorites in this business that um, I think are pretty awesome. And asking those people who do have a depth of experience um, what they're going to do, how they're going to handle this, that's an important piece of advice that we need to give today also. And that leads me to a big announcement. Uh, here's some great news, everybody. Uh, after a two- or three-year absence, uh, AVN has started up their panels again, uh, where, where we provide informative panels for small producers and independent performers, etc. And I will be moderating two panels this year that are both aimed at helping independent uh, producers, uh, or small producers, independent performers, performers of all kinds who want to produce their own content. We will help you figure out how to navigate some of the business issues and how to shoot great content and how to make money off that content. Uh, and of course, if there's a way to get Karen on the panel, she's been on many panels for me over the years and even participated from the audience when I can't get her on the panel. So I appreciate you. Uh, but everybody do go check the AVN schedule or check my Twitter, Glenn King XXX. There are announcements and press releases coming soon. Two panels this year, but uh, one on a Wednesday and one on the Friday. And they're all for you, the performers. I mean, they're free, so come to them and, and get awesome. some information. That's awesome, Glenn. And, and I know that I'm in trial that week, but what I'm going to do, I'm providing some written materials to the Free Speech Coalition. I'm going to give Glenn some written materials. Right. And um, I'm really going to try to get the trade magazines um, to carry a couple of articles that kind of give the unbiased view. I'm certainly not going to be one of those attorneys that says, oh, I've got the platinum solution here and just pay me $1,200 and you're going to do that. That's not <laughs> what we want. You don't want to listen to a guy like that. 
Um, and and the the thing is, take in as much information as you can. That's that's the best advice. That's the the best kind of touchstone for performers and producers right now. And digest everything, and then make good business decisions. Yeah, uh, one thing I, I do want to make clear, and I'll go back and add this at the beginning of the podcast. Also, Karen and I are neutral in terms of AB five. We are not pushing it one way or the other, telling you you should be against AB5 or for AB5, whatever. This is just information for you companies and performers about how how to live with it. It's here. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that, Glenn. Sure. Okay, so let's, uh, let's uh, sort of run down these last few questions here. So here's some workarounds that have been proposed that I want to get your opinions on. Let's say that you are a California company who shoots a Nevada resident. Well, what do you got to do in that case? If you're in California and your set location, the work's being performed in California, you're going to comply with AB5. I don't care where the performer came from. Now, the flip side of that, Glenn, if you're shooting someone in Las Vegas and they've traveled from California and um, your every part of the production is happening in Vegas. Um, we're going to fall under Nevada law then. Yay! I'm very Yay. happy about that. Um, makes life easier for me. Now, so let's be clear here because so many people are asking me these things. And I want to make sure that I've answered their question in a simple manner. If you are a – if you go – if you if you are a Los Angeles co- company right now, if you – are shooting in Los Angeles and you cross the border of Nevada and you start up a Nevada corporation and then you hire a Nevada performer, but you shoot the scene in Los Angeles, that's an employee under AB5. Right. That's a California employee and the DLSE, EDD, any California agency is going to view that person as having performed work in California and worked as a California likely employee, um, depending on some of the workarounds. But but you need to focus on where the work is happening. They're, they're very simple, guys. If you are shooting your scene in California, you're going to have to apply the ABC test and the AB5 rules here, right? Yes, absolutely, Glenn. That's, that's a great admonition. Okay. Now, if you are a California corporation – and you drive to Nevada and you rent a studio in Las Vegas and then you shoot a California resident, your California company is shooting a California resident, but the scene is actually being shot in Nevada. How does that apply? Ooh, that's a – okay. So um, there were some old uh, cases around this where construction companies based in California were jumping across the state line, I think up in Lake Tahoe. And they were claiming that um, there were not California employees because the work was being done in Nevada. And I would apply those same tests and say, if you're coordinating the work in California, you're all starting out in California and you're just popping across the state line to do the actual scene. I think that California agencies are going to view you as a California employer and they are going to view the popping across the state line as simply subterfuge, window dressing, and seeking a, a workaround that is unethical and doesn't meet the letter of the law. But that, that's a good question, 
And I think that people need to understand that, you know, they're not going to be more clever than the labor commissioner. (laughs) Right. And this is the underlying hint, hint, wink, wink behind that question. The people that asked me, I believe, are basically planning on saying – As long as I tell the state of California and the performer tells the state of California and on the paperwork it has a Nevada location, we could get away with this. Let me tell you – I'm going to let Karen answer it also, but this is not going to work, guys. It's not going to work at all because your performer – you're asking her to perjure herself or him to perjure himself and lie to a – to somebody that can put her in jail and say, oh, yeah, yeah, this took place in Nevada. And they're not going to do it for you. The minute that they are confronted with an adult, <laughs> you know, with a serious-looking right. person who says, "Where'd you shoot this scene? Uh, tell me the truth, or else, or else we're going to file charges against you." They're going to cr- uh, crumble, and they're not going to lie on your behalf. That's absolutely true. And and frankly, um, if if you can't figure out a way to to work here and do it. Then, you know, maybe like many other people, make the move to Vegas, Um, you know, make your choice. But but thinking that you're going to have some clever workaround um, is is just not a reasonable thing. Yeah, there you go. Um, I'm looking down through my list of questions now because that, you know, that all the questions are all about workarounds that involve, uh, you know, being in Vegas or whatever, you know, with your California company. But I mean, let me just. Say it one more time in a simple way that answers all these questions. It really depends where you shoot the scene. If you shoot it in California, it's a, it's under California laws. If you shoot it in Vegas, it's going to be under Vegas laws unless you're trying to pull something where you did the where you're just going to drive across the border and shoot it or pretend you shot it in Vegas. That's not going to work. Uh, Absolutely, and don't forget that you're signing your two two five seven paperwork under penalty. Well, you're you're averring to it. You're declaring, right? You're yeah. you're you're affirming that you've got the IDs, all of this, that the person's over eighteen. You're stating the location. Um, come on, guys, you you just need to be compliant and lawful in what you do. Yeah, let me just point out something to people uh, from twenty years of experience here. Twenty two fifty seven laws are not for what you think they are. The government has never ever used them to go get somebody in terms of uh, we just want to raid somebody and check their paperwork. They use it as a method of going after somebody that they have other reason to want to go after. Uh, So if they believe you're doing something illegal, they will file a bunch of charges against you, and one of them will be 2257, and they will be in a much stronger position for uh, for getting you to plea bargain. And when you've got 50 charges filed against you, it's different than when you've got one charge filed against you. So you need to be thinking in terms of uh, not perjuring yourself on 2257 forms. It's a it's a really bad idea. I agree. Thanks, Glenn. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, again, 20 years in the business. These are things that I've learned, uh, not the hard way in this particular case, but I, you know, we, we definitely had some frights that came along with 2257 for a long time. <laughs> Right. So let's talk about Nevada a little bit here. Some of the rumors are also that this will spread to Nevada next. Are you familiar much with uh, uh, Nevada labor? Um, Well, I don't practice in Nevada, but I will tell you that um, the ABC test um, is used in a few other states. It is the trend. 
there is currently no plan, there's no draft bill or anything in Nevada for the new ABC test. Um, And so I think that the rumors about, oh, there's already a bill in Nevada, you know, those are just rumors and people, you know, talking over their whiskey. Um, But I, I don't want to say that and people not understand that the ABC test is the trend across the nation. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a different scenario here in Nevada altogether in terms of how labor is managed in this state. Uh, you know, as an example, in California, I think OSHA has something like 800 employees. Am I am I right there? You probably know that it's one. It's about right. Yeah. Right. And in the state of Nevada, it, it's something like 20 employees. So it's it's under 50, I think. Also yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. So it's a different it's a really different mentality when it comes to uh, uh, to labor altogether out here. Um, also, in Nevada, it's a whole different approach when it comes to passing laws, whereas California is a law intensive state where they really believe in regulations and protecting people by regulating them to death. <laughs> Right. It's a funny thing to say, but they, they believe they want to protect you. It's all good intentions. But in California, they've also chased off a lot of small businesses because of their over-regulation. In, this, in Nevada, it's kind of the opposite. The legislature only meets once every two years, and they are very hesitant to pass laws that uh, that that cause people to feel like they're over-regulated. And because of that... Just last year, something like 50,000 people migrated from uh, California to Las Vegas, uh, and something like 5,000 went back the other direction. But basically, if you don't count the people that are on the strip in, in Las Vegas, you know, it's like a million people in this city, but four or 500,000 of them are actually tourists are on the strip at any given time. Yeah. Uh, so you got like 500,000 people left in, in proper Las Vegas. So we basically added 10% to the city last year from California and those are all people that were trying to avoid the regulations. So you're you're talking about yeah. people who got out of and you know and and that's an every year thing. I got here 3 years ago for that very reason. These are people who do not want the California um over regulations. So it's just a different right. political environment here than it is in California when it comes to uh local type regulatory issues. Uh okay, you said you agree because I think you've, you've yeah. debated it out there. Okay. So I think I'm just look through my list here. We talked about how this affects Hollywood. We talked about all the different workarounds for getting Nevada corporations and and sort of doing there. Uh, we talked about exemptions, content trades. The last thing on my list, and then we'll check your list, uh, is legal challenges. You said there are some folks that have filed suits right now to try to overturn the law. Is that right? Yeah, there are um, certainly some plans for litigation around it. And I was talking to someone else in the industry yesterday who expressed to me their strong belief that they would just wait and see how court cases played out in the next three to four years. And I need to stress to your listeners that that is not a good tactic. You, You can't wait for a savior in the courts. This is not only a law that was passed by the legislature, the the California Supreme Court adopted this test before the legislature did. 
So we have a California Supreme Court case that says ABC test. We have the legislature saying ABC test. So there's not a conflict there. There may be some litigation over the carve-outs, the exceptions, but but there certainly is not going to be some court that stands up and says, no, ABC is overbroad, it's bad, it was improperly adopted, everybody go back to what you were doing. That is not going to happen, and waiting for that to happen or waiting for the mainstream entertainment industry to save us is not a good strategy, and it may make for fun talk over a beer, but it's not realistic. There you go, everybody. So anything else on your list of questions that you want to get to? No, you got you got them all, and I talked about the loan outs and the business-to-business contracting and um, the state agencies who will enforce this. And so I think this is really complete. I hope people will um, come to your panels at ABN. I hope that people will seek out leaders in the industry for advice and also just make a good business decision based on real information, not just based on gossip rumor and, you know, what someone's tweeting about, you know, their fantasy is about what Uber's going to do to save us. So I just want to explain to people the way conflict of interest works in a labor dispute. Um, there are all kinds of opportunities for performers where you might be uh, having a conflict with another performer or with a production company. Karen works, Karen and attorneys like Karen Labor attorneys work for whoever hires them first in most cases. Uh, and they're, so you want to make sure that you don't end up in a situation where uh, Karen Tynan here or any other attorney that's the case that you want is not already involved with your opposition. One way that you can do that is by uh, putting an attorney on retainer. Again, not saying Karen specifically or anybody, but do consider at this point, given how complicated the labor situation has become, to contacting a labor attorney and giving them a retainer so that you have something, a plan in place for conflicts like that. Yes, I can say that. Yeah, I think that's great. And um, you can, uh, what's good for performers to do is have an active working relationship with their counsel um, so that they're getting consistent good advice. So that's awesome. Thanks. Yep, there you go, everybody. Before we go, I want to mention one of our great sponsors, Savage Sin Clothing. Savage Sin Clothing can be found at savagesinclothing.com. It is your place to go to get contemporary clothing that you can wear into any kind of casual location. Wear it to the gym, wear it to the mall, wear it to wherever you want to go. It's got stuff that you will like and people will look at you and go, hey, that's a cool person. It is clothing that I highly recommend. So again, go to Savage Sin Clothing today and start shopping. And use our promo code KINGSIN, K-I-N-G-S-I-N, to get 40% off plus free shipping. So go to SavageSinClothing.com today. All right. Thank you so much, Karen Tynan, for coming on. This is a wonderful service that you have provided to the industry. You're giving back to the industry just like myself by doing this. Thank you, everybody who has listened to the podcast. Uh, uh, Give us a a five-star review. Hey, hey, and subscribe. If you just tuned in just to hear Karen because you're a big Karen Tynan fan, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star review. We thank you very much for listening to Mature Audiences Mayhem. (laughs) 